Hello, and welcome back to the DM's Corner. We're, we're doing another one. I, the feedback I got from the first one was universally positive. So here we are. I have no idea when this is going to come out, um, but that doesn't matter. Eventually, because, right? Yeah, you're listening to it, so there it is. <laughs> uh, I'm Joe, your host and Dungeon Master for this little excursion into talking at you about how DMing is. Uh, joining me today is... I'm Zach, and uh, most of the time you know me as Falrock. I think what's going to end up happening if we do continue this is I'm going to cycle through everybody in the Alchemist Club and then maybe bring in some other friends I know that are, are dungeon masters. The, yeah. the trouble with that is you're probably tired of hearing people on the Alchemist Club. Maybe not, but... <laughs> Our uh, our gaming group, particularly our tabletop gaming group, is kind of incestuous. Like, oh yeah, we everybody everybody in their DMs and everybody when everybody DMs, we're typically the people that ask to get played in those adventures. So it's like yeah. different variations on the same people. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. I I think like the the furthest reach that we have is like, uh the guys who are all younger than you and I that are basically my guys. Um, and they've mostly played for my DM stuff or they've DM'd for me. But it's like, they're, we're the little splinter group of the larger conglomerate that's all just an interconnected web of people playing for each other. So, yeah. So you're going to get, you're going to get the Alchemist Club first and then we'll move out. Actually, uh, Matt has, he's DMing for several people who have never played D&D before. So oh, that's good. refreshing, and I'm sure he'll talk about that when I finally get him on for this. Um, yeah. But yeah, we don't have, this was kind of like unannounced, we don't have any questions or anything for from from fans or what have you. Uh, so we're just going to ramble at you until we're done rambling, I guess, or around an hour, whichever comes first. Yeah, one of those two things. Really, this episode is just because I begged and pleaded because the last episode sounded like so much fun. <laughs> Zach was very enthusiastic about being the uh, the next guest on, on the DM Corner. I, I say mean, guest. also, I was, I was the main, like, example that both of you use all through the last one. I was listening to it and i couldn't stop myself from texting you in the middle like hey am i the only person you talk about <laughs> yeah well it's just so much uh falrock is a very memorable character and you are also one of the few people that i've played in an extended campaign for yeah yeah, Most well, of the and other it's ones, like it's, 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 it's the same way for for Waffle as well. It's like I, I just so happen to be the middle part of that Venn diagram when you're both on the DM corner. So, mm -hmm. you know. So let's see. What did Waffle and I even talk about on the last one? We talked about leveling. We talked about balancing encounters. We answered mm -hmm. like favorite memories and stuff. But I don't know. Like you could talk about that stuff if you want to. I'd be more than happy to listen to god i probably still have the fan letters actually in my inbox i never delete them because they're little treasures to me <laughs> um goodness dm 
particular verbal exchange scene or arc in the podcast that has been your favorite or particularly memorable to you? Um, so, oh, and then Patch is writing in for the DM corner that didn't... Uh, we actually talked about that one on an episode of the Alchemist Club live. Right, 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 right. So, um, oh, and then there was the, like, Twitter one that we had from the other podcasts, which you can answer as well. I'm not going to answer them, because I already, if you want to listen to those answers, check out the, uh, the other DM Corner episode that was posted a few weeks ago. Okay, yeah. so, your favorite moment so far from the campaign, and your most terrifying moment as a DM and a player. Um, so... I'll be honest, my most... I'll, I'll start with the last one. Most terrifying moment as a DM is from my first campaign, which that one was absolutely a mess. Um, I was just coming to grips with how D&D worked, and it was 3.5 D&D. I had no idea how to balance, and it was... Uh, insert favorite character, OC Do Not Steal, the campaign. Um, in that one, I decided that every time we finished a meeting we would level up and that was the best worst idea because i never had a grip on what was going on and neither did they um but then the terrifying moment was the i'm gonna call it the one good mistake which was for the finale which we were all in college uh finals were coming up i boosted everybody like five levels so we could have a level 20 finale uh before finals and I asked uh, Joe and Hall to be co-villains with me for the final encounter. Um, I don't remember how it ended. I, that was like four hours of what on earth is happening. None of us have any idea how level 20 works, except Joe and Hall, and they're wrecking all of us. <laughs> um, and, and it was terrifying to try and figure out how the heck to end that, because... K-Hall's 3.5 characters were a mess. You, of course, were a very good wizard. And I don't remember what my most problematic and inventive person was playing, but I knew it was something that wasn't going to die easy, and he was causing the most problems from the player side. Was that and it was a... the one character, like, it was the wizard that was, like, 90 years old and, uh, and completely no. immune to fire? I... He was there, but he wasn't the problem one. The problem one was the... Oh, I forget what char- what the actual class is, but he was basically the the 3.5 version of a 5e bard, where he could do whatever he wanted at different times by using different resource pools. I, I'm struggling with the name of it, because it, it's absolutely broken in terms of 3.5. And absolutely unmanageable from a DM perspective as to what the character can actually do. Um, he had like a D8 hit die and like half martial capabilities, half magic capabilities. And he could put his points back and forth between making himself better at martial or better at magic. And I don't know. I stopped trying to keep track of it. And that that's a player that... I love him dearly, but there's a reason I stopped DMing for him. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it just, every time was a new, 
a new form of what on earth are you doing? Um, he was also friends with a player that I only DM'd for for a single campaign who tried to be level one Batman. And that was a nightmare of, you're not the DM, buddy. You don't get to decide what all of your actions do and how all of these, like, air quotes, uh, non-magic items interact with each other. He's one of those guys that had figured out if you give enough peasants uh, a pebble as a free action, you can make a peasant railgun in 3.5. Um, I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah, it, the whole, like, you line up however many thousands of peasants and have them pass uh, a pebble down the line. So the pebble essentially travels however many thousands of feet in an instant because a free action didn't count towards timing, air quotes, in mm. 3.5. Uh, yeah, it, it's one of those, like, if a DM looked at this and had the guts to just be like, no, guys, that's stupid. That It doesn't work like that. It never would have gotten on the internet, but mechanically speaking, yeah, the books say you can. Um, or well, the books don't say that you can't. It, I, there, there were a lot of moments, and, and all of them kind of uh, blur together after a certain point. But uh, the most terrifying was trying to figure out how to end the camp, the original campaign, without making everybody sad that the fight was over but also so we could go and actually eat food before the cafeteria closed. <laughs> uh, so yeah, most terrifying moment as a player? Um, probably also my favorite moment of the campaign so far um, is the, uh, uh, the trap by Steinar Silverforge and everybody else falling asleep. Uh, and everything that Falrock was doing being completely ineffectual. Um, I, I thought we were dead there. <laughs> uh -huh. And, and uh, yeah, that, that's not the first time that's happened in one of Joe's campaigns. But we, we checked. We checked the soup this time. We didn't <laughs> check the wine. Tea. It was uh, tea. Tea. Sorry, we didn't check the tea. The drink of choice. No. The... <laughs> I'll never forget the in the immortal words of Platinum Patreon member Kenny we didn't arcana the soup uh huh oh. oh good times good good times yes and again it's like I probably wouldn't have killed you guys there in fact I definitely wouldn't have I had plans for you there's a reason you put you to sleep instead of just you know exactly. murder poisoning you Right, right, right. But, you know, I I don't know. I treat Falrock a little bit differently than I've treated other characters, where other characters were not expendable, but I was ready for them to be revived and, you know, go along with our day sort of a deal. With Falrock, I, I just have this, he's my precious. I can't, he has to live. I have to take care of Falrock. Um, I don't know. It's just a very different, like, uh, player character uh, will to live. I, I don't know how to explain it. Um, death was not a concern for any of my characters, really, except Falrock, I think. That's fair. And this is a thing that is common in DMs, I find, as well, is you are 
like you're attached to your play your characters but you're not that attached when you do play because you have 15 backup characters uh-huh. and you're super excited about all of those concepts and you're like okay but if this one dies i can come back as this other one yeah who does this cool yeah, yeah, thing yeah. yep A- absolutely and there's you know it, the entire clan of donkills that i still have to go through um uh-huh many of whom are ready uh, others of whom are not and need more time in the oven to bake as ideas uh, but no I, I don't want to let go of Fall Rock at all ever um, so yeah it, it's a very different feeling and that's something that like I, I'm not sure I've ever instilled the fear of the DM in my players I, I always look at encounters as how big of a bowling pin can I set up and they can still knock down and feel good about it um and so I'm not sure I've ever properly got the the fear of death. Like, yeah, I, I've downed players. Uh, you know, I, there might have even been, like, most of the party goes down, but then there's inevitably one person who makes it through and gets the rest of them up. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. That, that's something that I feel like I need to work on as a DM is fear of death. But I also like all the, the characters that my players are playing. And I'm like, oh, that's a great concept. I don't want to mess with that. Like, I don't know. I, I, Julian from uh, the camp, the uh, Awakening campaign, that one, I don't want to let Julian go. Julian was great. I I mean, I liked him. And I was not, you know, super upset about the fact that you didn't want to kill him. But, like, <laughs> this is, again, this is something that we I talked about with Waffle, and I'd love to get your take on it. The idea of making encounters such that your players aren't certain that they're going to survive making sure that combat is meaningful without being a curb stomp one way or the other which is i've been struggling with that in the alchemist club too it's typically Mm -hmm. a curb stomp in favor of the players because i don't do combat that often and i'm trying to confine it to a one-hour episode and also right I don't have as much experience with players that are high enough level to do the things that you do yet, so I don't oh, yeah. really have a good it, gauge on that either. Mm-hmm. It, it's very uncharted territory. I think the highest player character that I've gotten outside of Falrock is, like, level 8 or level 9. Um, it, like, aside from a, a level 20 one-off, but, you know, that's that's an entirely different thing. Um but yeah, I I struggle with it as well. That's why I try to think about it like bowling pins rather than, uh, you know, uh, an actual fight almost. is like I want the players to succeed, but I also want it to challenge them and I want to make them work for it. Uh, but honestly, when I started DMing, I just flipped through the monster manual. I'm like, oh, hey, that looks cool. Is that the level of my characters? Uh, roughly. Okay, sure, yeah. Let's do that. It, and it's very monster of the week for my style of thing. Um, and sure, it, that could be monster of the month, depending on how long our sessions go or, or how long it takes them to get out of the scenario that has those roughly similar encounters. But uh, yeah, that that's something that I, I struggle with. And 
I got better about it by the time that I was actually doing the Awakening campaign with you guys. Mm -hmm. um, but I definitely still felt like at times uh, I was just giving you all the lane and you all were doing, you know, basketball tricks on a bowling alley and all sorts of <laughs> like it, things that shouldn't work but make for a much easier experience than I intended. Yeah, I've definitely run into that too with with the Alchemist Club. So that's fair. I'm still working on making like a legitimate fear of death a thing. And I know I, it's only I, been a couple of weeks since the previous... Well, that's not true. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a couple of weeks since we recorded the previous DM Corner, but it's probably going to be closer to a month from or you know when this goes public when it's released yeah but like keeping making people feel like they're at risk of dying and not just being like oh you're not you're not going to kill them because it's a podcast and you need the characters we'll see about that yeah no i i i never take that for granted because i know that the exact moment that i do not not anybody else but me the moment that i don't take it seriously farox gone like just <laughs> Anybody else could be goofing around or whatever, but just no, 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 no. That that's how the universe works. Is when uh, everybody else is doing something that's kind of spitting at whatever's going on. If I am the one who goes that one step further, then I'm the one who pays the price for it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, no, I I haven't ever thought. Oh yeah, no, you're not gonna kill us. I've always been like, oh god, how do I get out of this? Yeah, and to to those of you who do think that there isn't any any fear of death, like I, for the most part, I'm guessing that's going to come from a lack of knowing who I am. If you think that I don't have contingency plans in place for a, a character dying, you are sorely mistaken. Mm -hmm. The fact that they haven't come to light yet is due in part towards the fact that you guys have a stupid amount of hit points as between like your actual HP and your <laughs> healing spells, and also because Waffle is a very good role-player. We role have player. the Helios. That too. That too. The, the role-playing gets him out of so many sticky situations. But we do have possibly the Heliest 5e party that I have ever come across. I Dealing with a cleric it is normally enough, but since we all built our characters blind, and Daniel's also a very protective druid, and I built Farrock to just exist, regardless of what the party <laughs> did around me. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're definitely the healiest party I've ever seen. It's gross. I'm kind of sorry, but at the same time, I want to live. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about things that might uh, soften that a little bit. And you'll probably find them unpleasant or... Probably. Worthy of complaints, but you know what? I gotta do what I gotta do. Yeah. Gotta make things interesting. Mm-hmm. That, that's one thing that I have never felt... Uh, never felt has been a problem with our campaigns when we've played, is making things interesting. I've worried that I get boring, uh, because I, I'm trying to be a, an author, honestly. Um, so a lot of my cinematic moments, I kind of get a, let get away from me. And I'm always afraid that I'm doing too much or saying too much. And that I'm not even doing a podcast. So, 
you know, a, a dialogue between characters becomes just me monologuing because they're both NPCs. And it's like, I've always worried that I I have bored people or something like that, but everybody keeps going for next week. So I I it's still something that nags me, and it's still something I feel like I have to watch when I'm DMing. But uh, yeah, no, I, I have never, ever worried about being not interested when sitting down at a D&D table. Yeah, I totally understand the like two NPCs monologuing back and forth. I hate doing that. Um, oh, yeah. That's so obviously that doesn't happen very much in the Alchemist Club, but cinematic moments where I'm describing something. No, I don't care how boring it is. You're going to listen to the thing that I did. That's the yeah. there's that Penny Arcade comic that's like, I can't kill my players, otherwise who will I read all these poems I wrote to? <laughs> <laughs> I never broke down to poetry, but uh no, there there was definitely definitely some scenes that I'm like, okay, the players need to see this. They definitely need to know what's going on. But at the same time, I have written like three pages of dialogue between two characters. And I both of them are normal people, so I don't put on a voice for them. Oh god, this is gonna be terrible. Uh-huh. And then it wasn't, but you know, it's always the lead up to it that's just like I'm drenched in sweat. Yeah. No, I've I've very much tried to avoid and that's and it's it's I you know, I kind of regret like the council in Hopsidopolis and what is going to be the council in Diangaya. Um, having their meeting because I don't want to sit there and voice eight different dwarves talking to each other. So it's going to end up being like, oh, uh, yeah, the councils, you know, they talked about this stuff and came to a decision. I'm like, could I flesh that out? Yes, absolutely. But it's such a pain, and I don't have that many voices, even if I was doing voices <laughs> for them. Yeah, and, yeah. And then it's you're just listening to me talk to myself. Nobody wants that. Um, it's definitely something I can work on for sure. Uh, no, I, I had the, the habit of always pairing, uh, like two or three NPCs together at, at roughly the same time because they were all involved in the plot. And whenever there was more than one to interact with, I ended up making them have to have conversations with each other because one would butt into what the other was saying or... You know, uh, I think the worst that I had was when it was uh, the Dragon Pirates. The Dragonborn Pirates, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, that was a mess to keep track of because, like, three of them I had written just to have extra NPCs, and then you guys saved all of them. Um, they they were supposed to be dead, and it was supposed to be just you guys and the captain. And whoops! Turns out you guys absolutely crushed the monsters that I had set up. Uh, I got to show the cool cinematic moment, but then I had to have, rather than just the first mate, react to the captain's unnatural powers. It was the entire crew has to react, and it's like, oh no. Oh no. Yup. Still, I think one of the times that I got cinematic moment the best uh, was having Todd, Kale's character Todd, fall under the water uh, and see the captain use the the super magic that he had underwater. That I think that was one of the best cinematic moments. I still remember Waffle just being like, "What? 
Mm-hmm. He's, he did what now? Yep. Oh, it was good times. Those were good times. Well, I am bringing that up. That's all the Awakening campaign. Is this where I get into talking about homebrewing? Please, please do talk about homebrewing. Okay. Because well, we're both um, very much homebrewers, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, I always just, you know, writing, I have too many ideas. Uh, and the first few campaigns that I had were definitely just, uh, I want people to witness this. <laughs> this is my poetry. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um I have this story I want to tell, and I want characters to be there and have fun around it. Uh, and the one time that that changed uh, was when I when D and D five e was in playtest D and D next, and I was like, I don't I don't know if I like this system more than three point five. I'm really suspicious of this. But you know what I could do? I'm smart enough. I could combine the two and make my own thing. And that was the worst idea I ever had. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, uh, the setting idea was that a whole bunch of us college kids were there, uh, and then in an instant, magic replaced science. Just snap your fingers, uh, electricity stops working, more than half the population gets raptured, and they're all replaced with magical creatures and monsters. So, the, it opens, and they're all playing a board game, in the dorm, they look outside because they hear stuff going wrong. Uh, and there's a bulette, a land shark, just staring at them like tasty. Uh, the bulette gets carried off immediately by a dragon that crashes through half of their dorm. So then they're stuck inside their dorm that uses electronic locks. Uh, and they have to survive the first night. Do you leave? Do you stay there? What do you get? You're, you don't have anything right now. Except for Kevin had a paperclip, and he knew how to pick locks. And so he jimmied open everyone's doors. (laughs) And it immediately circumvented my plans. Um, But then it was this whole system that I made. I took the ideas of the spells that they had presented us in basically uh, the quick start guide for D&D Next. I kind of got a baseline for what dice to roll, what powers power level different levels of spells were and then said yeah okay i'm going to make uh 10 spells for eight different elements of magic and each person's going to get one element and they will slowly learn these 10 powers uh then they're also going to have survivor abilities that were like maneuvers because maneuvers were the one thing about 5e that just blew my mind i was like fighters do more than just hit stuff whoa cool Let's let everyone do that. Um, and then no one ever used those. <laughs> Everybody was more uh, convinced that having their magic powers were better, which they were. Um, and then it was just, what do you do? There, there are dwarves now that exist in this nearby cave complex. Uh, there are orcs taking over the local football stadium, setting up a camp there. There are elves turning the park into a, an even bigger forest. How, how do you deal with all this? How do you survive? Also, humans kind of poison the earth. Magic is trying to heal the earth now. How do you deal with these uh, concentrated... What did I call them? Pieces of 
how oh, pieces of anti-gaia which is such a terrible terrible name but i never fixed it um that were basically concentrated anti-magic made from pollution how, how do you deal with those how, how do you deal with these things that amplify the evils around you uh how do you learn about your new powers dude who do you befriend who do you ally yourself with that kind of a thing um this was also where i had an eight person campaign because there were eight elements and scheduling was a mess group dynamic was a mess i know people got bored just because there wasn't enough to do with only one dm and eight players uh as you all said in the last one no more than like four or five people maximum it for players yep. just no 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 never again um i divided that campaign in half and then both of those campaigns died out due to scheduling conflicts very very quickly thereafter uh but i had this basis i had this idea and i'm like this is such a cool idea i can't just let this go um let's jump it forward a couple hundred years see what happens uh because the whole point is that magic was in flux at the time that's why uh we weren't using any actual rules except the homebrew uh and now we had this nice shiny 5e out here so let's let's jump it forward a few hundred years magic has stabilized it has become codified people understand it sort of and let's throw them into uh the mess that's been left except it wasn't really a mess um i had a first go around with this before you played in it joe mm -hmm. um and that went really really well before scheduling conflicts uh the killer of all great dnd campaigns in my opinion um and then i decided that it's still too good of an idea i'm gonna do it again but better this time and instead of starting in uh, my hometown of Louisville, Kentucky, which I know a lot about and had changed a lot to fit in a medieval-ish magical setting uh, with sort of the skeleton of the modern world left behind, uh, I moved it to Metalweb, which is what became of Chicago. Uh, the skyscrapers didn't necessarily fall, but they were coaxed outwards into this ever-branching web of different platforms uh and because magic they the people didn't want to live on the ground the ground was too dangerous so they hit up in the skyscrapers and they made bridges between skyscrapers and then when they learned metal magic they just said let's make this bigger uh and so it was a really interesting and novel kind of sky city idea but there was still a ground and there was still like an actual port and things. Um, and yeah, it just was like, all right, let's bring that forward. Let's have very few actual remnants of Chicago, except for the actual map that I could draw on. Uh, and let's drop the players in there. They're poor, they've got no money, but hey, there are adventuring guilds. Uh, and let's see how that goes Let, let's see what happens here and if they can unravel the mysteries of what happened to all of us because we were the main characters of the original campaign uh and yeah that, that was a blast that was the longest running campaign i was in or involved in until the alchemist club 
that was gosh like a year and a half worth of stuff maybe a little longer mm -hmm. but uh but yeah and it was just whatever uh, i could come up with at the time whatever problems i could make up from a combination of uh, recommended content uh, from the DM's guide uh, or free content from DM's guild uh, or uh, what's the other one that I would always found stuff on? Shoot. I, it's been so long since I've been there, but another bunch of free D&D uh, &D content uh, ideas that I stole and adapted to this setting. Um, oh, the demon that you all fought, Ruin who had the control gem that turned into maggots, I straight up ripped that out of somebody else's book. I 100% stole the idea of the gem disintegrating if the, uh, if the main party got it and the ritual was incomplete. And it, it, just, it just worked. It just ran. Uh, you all were such an inventive party that it allowed me to be more inventive off of you guys. Um, I don't think there was ever really any huge, uh, revelations that I pulled from your backstory, but I integrated your backstories into basically everything that I did. Uh, Julian being a chaos sorcerer, I uh, was the representation of how magic was still wild. There, there was still this untamed power lurking beneath the surface, even though magic had been codified. I... Uh, Waffle playing Eleanor was seeing all of these alternate futures or possibilities uh, that, you know, other characters in the past had seen as well. Um, I forget who else. There was Todd, I know, but he was just sort of a generic chosen one, unfortunately. I didn't have that much for him. But yeah, then there was just a, a very colorful cast of characters. You all adopted strays like no other party I, I have been in um, until Waffles Lancer campaign. But there was NPCs from everywhere you all went after you left Metal Web that you just kept on pulling into the group and pulling into the group. Um, it was just so much fun to just bring up new stuff and just say, what the hell, what if you just uh, walked into a city and suddenly started a hotel chain because you had more money than the entire city put together. We, well, why not? We did do that, didn't we? You did. You did do that. And I immediately turned it against you with vampires. But, you know, yeah, hey. Well, it, it was Todd's <laughs> idea. It was. It was Todd's idea. Um, so, yeah, it, it's just... Uh, I don't know. I don't want to toot my own horn and say I'm just a wealth of ingenuity. But I don't know. I, I get ideas and I present them to people and you all rolled with it, which let me roll with it some more. Um, and then I just kept looking for more and more ideas. I've never been one to stick to uh, an exact scenario from a book. I, I love the inspiration that I get from them. And, you know, obviously the more famous ones like Curse of Strahd, I'd love to actually play some time rather than just... Uh, oh, hey, that that's a neat idea. Um, but it's always just been that there's no limits, just jumping off points for me. So when it comes to homebrew, it's not really 
anything special, I guess. It's just sort of what I do. <laughs> it's really weird to say it like that, but it, it's just how it goes. Yeah, it's it's definitely something that I had to learn how to do. Um, I originally, when I first started DMing, I tried it a little bit, but I was mostly using pre-made modules mm -hmm. because I figured that would be less work. And it typically is, but... I immediately ran into the issue of I hadn't learned how to handle when people go off script. So I was like, I had the module and I was looking at it and the players were doing something stupid and off, you know, off the rails. And I was looking back at the module and going like, I, there's nothing in here that prepares me for how to deal with this situation. And I don't know. Nobody prepares you for when your fighter decides he's going to dual wield tower shields uh, and use one of them as a surfboard when there's a minecart track to ride on. Um, yeah, no, nothing prepares you for that. No. But over the years, I have since learned to, as you were, as you were talking about, you sort of bounce a good game of D&D. &D. The players and the DM are informing the story roughly equally. You kind of yes. build off of each other. And I think I've done, I do a much better job of that now than I, I have in the past, which is good because I was garbage at it in the past and I should not still be DMing if I haven't improved since then. <laughs> um, and that's one of the reasons I think that our our particular tabletop gaming group is so, you know, kind of closed loop because we all know that everybody in it is good at that sort of Dungeons and Dragons, and that's what yeah. we look for when we play it. I have a friend who plays D&D &D like it's a tactics game. Mm. His whole, like, the whole reason he plays D&D &D is so he can do cool things during combat, and that is not the same D&D &D that I play. Yeah. So, yeah. I typically don't play with him very much. Uh, I have a couple of friends like that, actually. Um, and it's like, I, I understand where you're coming from, but that's not for me. And Yeah. So collaborations on that front tend not to last very long. Well, and it's like, I, you know, as much as I set up bowling pins that are challenging, I, I still enjoy the players finding new ways of fighting things with their own powers. And I, I guess that that was my biggest failing with the original homebrew mess that it was. Well, no, right, second, I'll get to the actual first one later. But the second biggest failing is that I had 10 spells, five of which I categorized as utility, five of which I categorized as damage. And there wasn't a wiggle room in between. I, I made a very hard line between like, all right, if you can do something cool out of combat, you can't hurt people with it. If you can hurt people with it, you can't do something cool out of combat. And I think the closest I got was uh, my version of Heat Metal, which, I mean, that, that of course, that should be able to work both ways. But it, it just was never, I don't know, I, I, I definitely tried to limit the creativity in combat there. And that's something that I, I've come to appreciate so much more since then. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, goodness gracious. 
the um, biggest regret though i don't want to i don't want to let this one go uh the biggest regret i had is that i decided that instead of hey every four levels you can get an ability score improvement uh i was going to manually track every time someone made a successful skill check and if you made a successful skill check enough times you would get a point in that skill if you made enough successful skill checks and leveled skills up enough you would level up that attribute and i still have the pages and pages of like handwritten uh excel sheet basically in my notebook from where i tried to track all eight players so this <laughs> this gets into what i was about to ask um which was getting back to the experience points versus milestone leveling discussion that Waffle and I had in the last one. And you kind right. of answered my question for me. Yeah. That sounds like hell. Yeah. No. Like, here's the thing. It it worked really well on paper, literally. Uh, as soon as I realized that Kevin could pick locks and that picking locks was a dex skill... And knowing Kevin, he always plays a bow and arrow build. Uh-huh. I was in trouble. Within <laughs> um, the first five minutes of that campaign, I was like, oh, man, what have I done? Uh-huh. Uh, for those of you who don't know Kevin, wonderful guy. He's a Boy Scout that I literally had to take away skills and proficiencies from because we were basing all of our characters off of ourselves. We, we had that whole real life to D&D stat conversion thing. Um, and, and yeah, I had to nerf Kevin or else he was going to ruin everybody else's fun unintentionally. Um, and he he still was so much stronger than everyone else. Um, but yeah, I have never ever tracked experience outside of that one time with all the spreadsheets. I... Uh, I just don't think that's a good metric, honestly. I think that it's an expected metric from all of video games. Uh, but I think that when you're doing role play and making important things happen outside of the realm of experience points, uh, I think that's where it falls apart really fast. And with our way of playing D&D, where... It, it is very role-play, but also combat is important. But also, it, if you're making important decisions, you should be rewarded. Yeah, it, XP falls apart real fast. Negotiating your way out of combat shouldn't punish you, you know? Uh, realizing that, hey, there's been a gigantic misunderstanding and a whole bunch of bandits uh, gave us these bandanas half a mile down the road, and now the orc camp they just stole from thinks that we're them. Like, guys... Talk your way out of it. It's okay. You don't have to kill everything. Yeah, I, I just have never really ascribed to it. When I Like I said, when I did my first campaign, uh, it was every time we finished a, a play session, we leveled up. I, I always wanted to see what everybody else would come up with and what new things they would have because it was all new to me at the time. And that worked as much as anything in that campaign worked. But then afterwards, it was just... Okay, when is a good time? When when have we made enough progress in the story that that I can give them a level? Um, it, it's never really been a question because it's never really been something that I thought of. <laughs> um, never something that I considered. 
And, and you know, there, there's plenty of good things to go with XP. I think that that's a decent enough way to balance your encounters is by looking at the XP that you would get off of it. But no, I I never never really gave it a second thought. Yeah, that's that's fair. I do want to point out that I'm pretty sure experience points predate video games. It, true, very true. But it, from my experience, video games before D and D. So, you know, that's it, fair. just my very first game was Pokemon Yellow. So experience from six years old on, like, okay, that makes sense to me. Yeah, and milestone milestone leveling is it's just so much better. And I was for a, a long while a proponent of the you know, level up at the end of a session, maybe every two sessions. The issue that you run into there is that you rapidly, the players rapidly become more powerful than you, the dungeon master are yeah. ready to, aren't you? You haven't been thinking about that or anticipating it Two, Neither have they. So they don't know yeah. how to use any of the cool new tools that they've got because they're still working on the last batch that they, that they received. So yeah, I've slowed my role a bit, which I much to Matthew's dismay, who, has complained several times about the fact that you guys are still what like level 10 or 11 yeah we're no we're 10 we're definitely 10 yeah um uh, that'll yeah. probably change soonish maybe if you're lucky but hey i i i learned very quickly from the first campaign that i played with you as a dm that the more i ask for level ups the less likely i am to get a level up like it, the longer it will take the more milestones I will have to complete. So I, I'm in it for the ride. I, I, I'm not going to ask because I know the answer already. And that's appreciated because I have played with a lot of people <laughs> who are like, do we level up? Have we leveled up yet? Do we level up? Hey, Joe, have we leveled up yet? Should we? Can we level up <laughs> at the end of the set? No. Shush. Yeah. You level up when I say you level up. Exactly. Um... That's that's one of the merits, I guess, of an experience point-based system, is that nobody's ever going to ask you when you level up, because you can kind of tell exactly how much more you need to get there. Right. One of the few benefits of an experience point-based system. Yeah, there's pros and cons. Mostly I, cons. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I know that Waffle touched on uh, Lancer last time. Um, with their whole, you finish, you complete an entire mission and then you level up kind of forced advancement. Um, I'll say that that's a very, just because that system is so drastically different from standard D and D it, that works over there, but yeah, it, it does not work for standard D and D. Um, also because standard D and D doesn't have this like, uh, almost military type mission system of like, these are your objectives, complete the objectives. Um, and that's exactly what Lancer wants you to do. They want you to set out exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Go do that thing. And when you get home, Hey, uh, there's the buck there. There's the reward waiting for you. Um, it's just so drastically different. And I, I'm interested to, I'm always somebody who's looking at, at other systems because honestly, because of uh, getting D and D next when we did the playtest, I uh, 
I've always wanted to try at least one uh, adventure in another system. It's just, it never seems to get off the ground because everything is too, like, uh, 30 degrees away from what you're expecting. It's just a little bit tilted from what you're used to with D&D. And because of that, there's this weird, like, adjustment back and forth you have to do to try and get your head around a new system. Um, it, it happens a lot in Lancer. Critical hits in Lancer are not critical hits in D&D. And automatic successes in Lancer mean different things from automatic successes in D&D. And, and it's just an entirely different system. And it's all things that, like, you expect. Hey, I rolled a, a 17 on my D20. That plus my 5 on this skill, cool. I've got a 22. I, I succeed, or I should get pretty close to success, right? And it's like, yeah. Yeah, that gets you there. But and in D&D, it's... I'm not going to say more of a pass-fail, but it feels more consistent in what you're rolling. Whereas with Lancer, there's, like Waffles explaining, levels of success or levels of difficulty that you have to go through whenever you're rolling something. And it's very, very interesting, and I'm glad that I'm playing it, also because I love giant robots. Um, but it's not something that I ever am going to run myself, just because I have to ask for reminders so often I don't want to be the DM asking the players, hey, how does this work? Mm -hmm. <sighs> the uh, talk of criticals reminded me. It's, I guess, a variation on homebrewing, but uh, a minor one. Where And this is advice to all aspiring DMs or DMs who are, you know, maybe dissatisfied with certain things. Like... Never be afraid to take a rule and throw it out or tweak it or adjust it to mm -hmm. to suit however whatever you want. Like crits specifically, and this is what reminded me. Um in rules as written, crits are, you know, you roll a twenty, then you roll twice as many dice as you would normally and add your modifiers. Mm-hmm. Um I don't like that because I personally have have crits and then rolled ones on all of my damage dice and done like yep. five damage and I was like no this is this is dumb crits should feel good if you get a natural 20 it should feel like you got a natural 20 Uh-huh So that's why in the Alchemist Club if somebody scores a crit you automatically maximize your normal damage and then you roll it like you would normally so it always like no matter how poorly you roll a crit will, is always going to feel punchier yep. um so i think that's that's something we've been doing for most of 5e as well i think we figured that out real fast um and we i i know that we did that during the the awakening campaign as well like it, it you had to feel good if you did something good absolutely mm-hmm Oh boy, we are we are pushing fifty five minutes right now. So I guess, do you have any closing remarks you would like to make before we before we wrap up here? Yeah, uh, D and D is fun. You should play. Uh, buy some dice from Die Hard. <laughs> Die Hard dice. 
Die Hard Dice. Love them. Uh, and honestly, just adapt with it. That That's the biggest thing that I've learned from where I started with uh, this is what the players need to do. They should do that. Versus here's here's the playground. All right. What do you guys want to what what ride do you want to go on first? You know, I uh, just adapt to your players and adapt to not necessarily what they're doing, but what they're about to be doing. If you can start predicting them, even just a little bit, it makes so much more fun. What what whatever you're planning, it just makes it that much more like, oh, my God, they they were ready for me. Uh that that feels really really good. Mm. All right. Well, thank you, Zachary, for joining me in the in the DM corner. One of these days, when I'm rich and famous, I'm gonna make an actual DM corner with like a fireplace and. Are we gonna live stream it? <laughs> uh, like a a picture of me in a smoking jacket and snifters <laughs> of brandy. Um. Like the Gentleman's Gaming Club, except yes. it's the Gentleman's DM Corner. Exactly. Yes. Um, so thanks for joining me and for Always chatting about DM stuff. And as per usual, uh, you can get in touch with, uh, with us at the various Alchemist Club, um, you know, social media platforms and email addresses. I don't know who I'm going to have on next for this. I don't know what I'm going to do the next one. I'm not sure when this one's going to when it's going to air, but um I feel like I will probably at least get each member of the Alchemist Club on to talk about DMing stuff minimum and then probably a few other people and we'll see where things go from there. That's like big future plans. We'll see how it goes. The but... Alchemist Club, the next generation. <laughs> God, no. I could not manage <laughs> running two podcast campaigns. I would die. Uh, well, hey, if you ever want to manage being in a second podcast campaign, finger guns. <laughs> I'm always happy to go back to the magical world of the Awakening. We never got to the West Coast. No. It was all, like, uh, south. It was, like, middle parts, and then the east, and then the south. Um, and yeah, we, we never got to the West Coast. There's plenty more undiscovered country. Yep. I need to stop with the Star Trek puns now. Oh yes. My God. Yes, you do. <laughs> um, that has thoroughly distracted me. <laughs> got him. Restraining my natural instinct to jeer. Um, anyway. This has been another episode of the DM's Corner. Uh, it's probably not going to go up on a Sunday. It'll probably go up sometime in the middle of the week, which this is irrelevant information to you if you're listening to it. Um, keep an ear out for the next one. I don't know who's going to be on it or when it'll be, but I'm 98% sure I'm going to record another. So thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed, and uh, I will see you or you will hear me more accurately uh, on Sunday in the next exciting episode of The Alchemist Club. Thanks for listening.